Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here for another treat, Dueling Questions with Ken Capel. We're going to, I actually don't even know. <laughs> Ken, as you uh, remember, was a lot of experience in insurance, longtime collector. And so we have some different intersection and connecting points. And we will see I, as these episodes go, they are unscripted. And I don't know if he's going to be a tough guy or a pushover. So looking forward to Ken's questions. And I'm not sure what he thinks about mine, but I've got some good ones for him. Uh, thanks, Top Spinini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Ken, hit me with your best shot. All right. Right off the top, I want to hear about your almost with Beckett publications. You were the pioneer. You were the leader. You were everything. And then you got out when you felt the time was right. And it's been a while since you got out, probably about a good 15 years at this point. And you started doing your podcast about a year ago. So other than the podcast, which is phenomenal, is there any, what do you want to do now in your retirement? Is there anything that you look back and say, boy, I wish I, I would really like to get in on this or explore this a little bit? I think I'm a lifer for the hobby. And, and I'm just to give you a preview, my first question for you will also be dealing with post-retirement for you, Ken. But uh, my retirement is pretty ideal. I'm very blessed. So don't re- I'm enjoying uh, the hobby. And I don't want to be overkill of doing 24-7 on the hobby, which is what I did. But I've really enjoyed going to some shows now. I'll probably do a little bit more of that. And, I, and I'm really, the daily podcast, nobody else is really doing daily. So that's, there's a commitment there. And it puts me in touch with uh, interesting people and, and, and good topics. I'm not looking to escalate into another corporate gig or to be an employee or have an employee. On the other hand, to go to a few more shows. I was teed up to go to Toronto in May and it got canceled. And so I was really looking forward to introducing that because that was one of my one of my favorite shows from back in the day, Canadian uh, National. So as for retirement for me and, and hobby to-do list, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking and uh, the podcast has been uh, a lot of fun, more fun than I thought. That's great. You're happy. Yes. You do what you want to do and you're doing it at your pace. I, I don't think there's anything better than that. So great answer. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been 15 years and six months and seven days, but who's counting? It's just, count. Not exactly, but I'm just guessing on that. Okay. So my question for you is, because we, we talked about this before we got started, is that you're not that close to retirement age, but you're thinking about it. And so what is your ideal retirement? And you mentioned that the hobby was going to be a, a significant part of that. Yeah. I've been in and out of the hobby. My story goes very similar to most of the stories. When I got older, girls in school and college, they attracted attract me a little bit, but I've been back into it for quite a while now and really enjoying it. And over the last year or two, I've really, it's taken to a different level on what I'm doing. And because I'm getting that eye now for things and I can, I can distinguish things, what's good and what's bad. And I've been helping a lot of my friends too, or start and getting them back into the hobby. What I really love to do is come post, you know, retirement time. If I've done everything right and I've got everything set up, I love to become like a full-time collector because I'm going to be young enough, but, and that means. But not a collector dealer. Not a collector slash dealer. Yeah. Maybe even going up to three shows a year. I love the Toronto shows and I love the national and just to be able to build my supply and then go on, be able to buy. And even if I'm not able to even set up at those shows, which would be a dream, just every year hit those shows and and take care of what I want to do and see the beautiful Toronto and wherever the national Chicago, Atlantic city, wherever, and just be able to enjoy it and, and really give back a little bit as well. Okay. Your turn. Thank you very much. Good answer. Okay. So back in the 70s, I've heard you mention it a lot of times. Back in the 70s, you used to go cross country, uh, load up the station wagon and do some buys before you got into the publication. Was there ever anything, and I don't need explicit details, but ever anything that you saw that you had in your hand and you passed on it 
And now coming back all these years later, or even maybe it was years ago, you'll look back and say, boy, I wish I had a redo. I wish I had a mulligan on that one because I would love to get that because I just have never seen it or never seen it like that. All right, good question. See, I haven't had that exact question before. Basically, I ha- as far as mulligans or do-overs, I, I ha- my regret stories are more in the organized hobby where I didn't bid one more time, which might have won me some of these grail cards. And maybe not, but so the, those are the regrets there. On the buying trips, the regrets were not, uh, they were strategic. In other words, when somebody walks in with a bunch of cards, there's a little bit of a dance. I want for your cards. Well, what are you paying? What do you want? Well, what are you paying? And so you've got to come to an agreement. And almost all of that activity was before the price guides. So you couldn't, they weren't walking in with a price guide, whether it had my name on it or anybody else's. There just wasn't anything, any real price reference. So the regrets I would have is that I missed out on things where I either, and this is the weird thing. I either offered too little, which everybody could understand that, or too much. Because in the psychology of trying to buy a collection in the 70s, if you offered somebody a number that was bigger than what they thought, it made them think, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know they were worth that much. Uh, maybe I'll just hold on to them. And there, were, and there were three collections like that over the years that I can remember. And they were the problem was they were all... These were collections that were in really good condition, really fabulous condition. And so they, I believe I offered too much. And they, and then, and if you're driving through town and it wasn't a station wagon, it's actually an Oldsmobile Cutlass, which kids, there used to be something called an Oldsmobile and a Cutlass, but so I had a decent trunk. You just, the collections were shoeboxes. They weren't, they, you didn't need a station wagon, but so that's my bizarre lesson that I offered too much. And they said, and, and like I said, it was in a different city. And I said, I'm only going to be here today. And they said, well, just think about it. That, that means no. So thank you for bringing me back to that horrible memory. Ken. Uh, <laughs> I didn't strategically uh, do it. Okay. So I'm not your boss, but you know, when I heard you talk about your retirement, that sounded exciting to me. It also st- sounded very restrained. Most collectors would have trouble restraining themselves to only three conventions, you know, only three big card shows. The Toronto, I get that. Both of them, May and November. The National, I get that. But most people would want to maybe go every other month. And so if I forced you to go to more than just those three shows and you'd really enjoy it, what other shows might you add on? Or And I'm vicariously asking this for me because I'm thinking, what if I wanted to go to six shows a year? I might go to one Toronto, definitely the national. What would be the other ones that you would consider? It's funny you would ask that because just last night I had a conversation with a relative of mine and I was saying, I'd really like to come out to Dallas one time, visit him and go see Rich Klein's show. (laughs) I've heard him talk about it and I've heard it on your podcast. And it is just, I'm I'm like sitting there like gritting my teeth every time I hear you talk about it because I want to get there. I want to get there. That would definitely be one. And I'm born and raised in New York. I'm out on Long Island. And I always hear about these great East Coast shows. But I've never actually been to one. So I think that would be something. And then maybe another one up in Toronto somewhere. I know that the sports expo happens twice a year, but there's so many up there. And me being primarily a hockey guy, that's that's where I want to go. And that's what I want to do. So I would say Toronto again, maybe another one up there. East Coast and Rich Klein, definitely. Rich is going to love it. Great answer, Ken. Okay, uh, your turn again. Okay, so we know that you love baseball. You were a collector of baseball. You have your baseball card, which you're in a baseball uniform, and, and Clemente was your guy or is your guy. So is there anything, if you were to say there's a number two that you look after? My number one is hockey. My number two is 70s, 80s baseball. But is there like that number two that you 
just love and for the, it, you just love collecting it, or is it just pretty much everything at this point? Um, it's it always was everything, and so the, the, here's how I divide it up. I basically baseball was my first love, and and I probably have more baseball cards than anything else, just from when I was a kid and and collecting. Football is probably what I look at first when I go to a show because I think football is a little bit. I won't say undervalued, but it's just, I just can find some, some not bargains, but just, I have a good understanding of what I think value and future value will be in football. So the football is what I concentrate first on at a card show and basketball is the sport that I watch the most in person and on TV and follow most closely and probably played more as a kid hockey. So to complete it, <laughs> hockey is, I totally respect hockey because it has the most passionate collectors of all. And we had such a great team that I was part of and I led, but what I learned with hockey in, in being the boss of a company is that in so many of the things that I did, I was the boss and I knew more than the other people in hockey. Not true. I had to hire people that knew more than me. And I found that being a supervisor, a boss, a leader is different challenge when more than that you've already done the job and more than them, as opposed to some sharp young guys in that case, who knew a lot more than I did. And I, I learned a lot and I love hockey. So that's my hedged answer there for you, Ken. Oh, I love it. I love me and, and, the, and the, the sport and the, and the collection of hockey is where I go all the time. Okay, my turn? Yes, your turn. Um, what percentage of collectors that have a collection worth more, this is the speculation question, have, have collections worth more than $10,000 have insurance? In your opinion. And again, Beckett Media has just gone into this. So they must perceive that there's a growth market. Values are going up. But say collection of $10,000 or more, what percent? 50%, 25%, 75%. I've got an idea, but I want you to, as a pro. I've got an idea too. And I I wonder how close we are, but I'm going to say much lower than what we think. I'm going to almost say maybe 5 to 10% actually have it, it because it is such an underutilized market. And you ask your insurance agent most of the time, they have to go back and look to say, let me get back to you because we never get asked that question. Yeah. I would bet any amount of money, it's less than 25%. I think it's a reasonable bet that it's less than 10%. 5%, now you're over under possibility there. Your turn, Ken. All righty. All right. So your wall of fame, I'm very intrigued with your wall of fame. I, I hear you talking about it and I've, I've got this visual in my head of what it looks like and, and how it works. Was there anything there that maybe you had, and I don't need names, but somebody specific that you had on your wall of fame and due to one reason or another, either had to take them off or something that happened or in their life or something that you wanted to put on and said, this is probably not a good idea. Okay. That is the last question. And I'm not going to say, oh, I don't have time. <laughs> I will. I'm not going to play dodgeball here. Actually, you're looking at part of my wall of fame. We're doing a Zoom call and you can see the cards in the background. The last uh, call I did a, a little while ago, one of the guys, one of his top 10 cards that he's looking for was behind me in the lower right corner. And he wanted me to gently take it out of the holder and ship it to him. <laughs> and he would have traded me or, or and it's a very nice card. It's, very, it's a hard to get card. It's more rare than valuable, but it's, it still has, has good value. And so I think I'll rotate these things. They turn, it's a, a system, a wall system that's uh, static clinged. So it's not, they're not glued in there. So I can pop them in and pop them out. Uh, and I probably will do that, but there's, uh, I haven't removed anybody yet. As I get new players, for example, there's, I have some, an order at BGS 
because I, I get them all slab before I put them up there. I don't have a Luca up there because it's at BGS and they're not been there for a long time. I do not get preferential treatment, but I'm still a big fan. And so as I add, I'll, if I'm going to stay with the top thousand, can I'm going to have to delete one. And and like I said, anybody that enticement for people to be on the show. If you're on the show when we do a Zoom call, you're get, get, going to get to see a part of the Wall of Fame. And like a certain guy named Adam, you might want to stake your claim for if anything ever happens to me, whether you want, he actually has a couple cards that he's very interested in, but, and you may, there's a, a rookie Ovechkin to the side of my head. And it's just, it's all the sports. There's Daryl Sittler over there. This is O P R and S behind me. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to have fun with that, with variations on that question, Ken, because as I rotate the pictures, then people are going to want to come and see. And until COVID gets uh, uh, resolved, I don't think anybody's going to come over. I've, I've, I, I did the episodes where we recorded the, the the hobby dinner dinners that I've done for five years now in January. I hope those are reinstated. But when those guys come over, they can look in my card room and, and I can show them that. And it's there's always stuff in there that nobody's seen. So it's it, it's I don't know that it's going to be so Darwinian that survival of the fittest when I get a new card. It's not about the card as much as it's about the personality of the player. Each one of the thousand, I'll have a little bit of a story for. There's Terry Sachuk right there, right next to Gail Sayers. So you might recognize all this. Anyway, we're, we're, I'm so sorry we're out of time. Uh, we're not out of questions and we're not out of fun. This was a lot of fun, Ken. Thanks for your good questions. Thanks for your interest in the hobby and we'll, we'll do something again. This was fun. So thanks listeners. Thanks, Ken Capel. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. Dwayne Dollar, right?